We are back with another episode of the Do As I Say, Not As I Did podcast. And the name kind of explains everything. We're giving you advice based on mistakes we've made the first time. Each week, I bring on founders, investors, product experts, management experts, authors, just very smart people that can help us work out how to build a great business. And then together, we answer the questions you sent through about what's going on in your lives and in your businesses. So if you have questions or you're trying to put out fires, we're going to workshop them. So send them through to podcast at joeldutrapani.com. And I know that is a mouthful. So that will be included in the show notes. Uh, I'm your host, Joel Dutrapani. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Vigo, which is an egg tech scale-up. We've grown it through Australia and the UK. And now we're focused on the US, which is why uh, I live in Austin now. And you can probably tell I've got a bit of an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on top of that, I'm an advisor and a coach in the product space where I help startups and businesses learn how to build great product teams because that's how you build great products. And I did not get that right the first time. But anyways, today is another one of those guests where I'm genuinely shocked that they came on the show. We have Kim Scott, who is the author of Just Work and Radical Candor and co-founder of a company that helps people put the ideas in her books into practice. Kim was a CEO coach at Dropbox, Qualtrics, Twitter, and other tech companies. She was a member of the faculty at Apple University and before that led AdSense, YouTube, and DoubleClick teams at Google. Radical Candor is an incredible... Radical Candor is an incredible book that changed my company completely. In fact, the title Radical Candor is actually one of our company's values. I regularly reread this book and I am forever in pursuit of being the great manager and leader that Kim describes in the book. Kim is an absolute expert at managing and an expert at building teams. So let's jump into it. Welcome, Kim. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Well, if you, as you read the book, you'll know that Everything I learned, I learned the hard way. And I wrote the book so that uh, other folks can learn the easy way, <laughs> learning by reading instead of by screwing up. Because being a manager is so hard. It's like most people get, get thrown into the deep end. And the problem is, like, if you sink, you drag a whole team with you. So yeah, let's try to learn faster. Absolutely. And, and I, again, just want to say this is not a sponsored episode, by the way. I, I just personally really <laughs> love Radical Candor, which is why I, I hit up Kim to come on the show. But could you tell us a little bit more in your own words, Kim? What is Radical Candor for those people who haven't read it yet? Sure. Radical candor is what happens when you care personally and challenge directly at the same time. So you can view it like a two-by-two matrix. So in the upper right-hand quadrant where you care and challenge at the same time, that's radical candor. I think it's also important to understand what it's not. So radical candor is not obnoxious aggression. That is, that is what happens when you challenge, but you forget to show you care. And too many people make a mistake and, and they'll think, you know, I'll be working with a team and someone will charge into a conference room and they'll say, in the spirit of radical candor, and then they will proceed to act like a garden variety jerk. And that is not the spirit of radical candor. That is the spirit of obnoxious aggression. Then, you know, obnoxious aggression is obviously a problem because it hurts other people. It's a problem because it's inefficient. If, if I am a jerk to you, Joel, then you go into fight or flight mode and then you literally can't hear what I'm saying. So I'm wasting my breath. But it's also a problem because I don't know about you and your listeners, but I imagine you're like me, which is when you realize you've acted like a jerk, it's not your instinct to go the right way on the care personally dimension of radical candor. Instead, we go the wrong way on challenge directly. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. And then we wind up in the worst place of all, manipulative insincerity. So if obnoxious aggression is front stabbing, manipulative insincerity is backstabbing, 
And often when things go wrong at work, we're telling, we tell stories. The stories we tell are about those two behaviors, obnoxious aggression or manipulative insincerity. But in my experience, the vast majority of us make the vast majority of our mistakes in this last box, where we do remember to show that we care personally, because you know what? It turns out most people are actually pretty nice people, despite everything you read in social media. So we do remember to show that we care personally, but we're so worried about not hurting someone's feelings or not offending them that we fail to tell them something they'd be better off knowing in the long run. And that's what I call ruinous empathy. So that's the, the radical candor in a nutshell. I definitely used to fall into ruinous empathy a lot. And, yes. and, and you know, I, I just never wanted to hurt people's feelings. I wanted to make someone feel good. And I thought making someone feel good was being a great manager and a great leader. Yeah. But it's absolutely not. And, and I just made so many space mistakes going down that path. So I, if you haven't read this book, just turn the show off and just go and read the book now because it, <laughs> it will just, you know, 10x, 100x the outcomes in your business because management and leadership is like the most important thing you can do in your business. And, and this just allows you to be so much more effective and, and make everyone just have, you know, a happier life while doing it. So I absolutely love it. Um, I, I read it again in, in preparation for this interview. And again, I was reminded of so many of those, I guess, traits that I just slip into by accident. So read it, read it again. And uh, yeah, and, and try it out. I, I think you'll love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joel. And keep listening to the podcast. Hopefully it'll inspire you to read this book and also the <laughs> next one, which is called Just Work, as in work justly, not just work all the time. That's <laughs> well, look, I... Uh... Before I, I just keep talking and asking my own questions about Radical Candor, let's jump into to, to the email and Reddit questions today. I am back. It's me, Sponsorship Joel, a different, better version compared to regular Joel. And I'm stopping today's conversation to give you even better advice than what I'm giving you in the podcast and the normal questions. And that advice is get mirror, goddammit. I love them and they're our sponsor. They sponsor this episode and they sponsor the podcast. It's all brought to you by Miro. Uh, now, I bet you think, you know, Miro is just like this regular, simple digital whiteboard. Wrong. No points for you. You don't know what Miro is. Miro's capabilities run so far beyond a digital whiteboard. It's a visual collaboration tool where my whole team, your whole team, and just any team, any whole team, can build on each other's ideas and create something meaningful together from anywhere in the world. And I wanted to stop and tell you today about just some of my favorite apps and integrations that I use Miro in Mirror week to week and day to day. The first, most importantly, probably most novel is dice. They just have dice. You wanna make a decision, you want some kind of chance in, in the meetings about who's going next, roll those dice. And just remember, the logo for this podcast is dice. So that's an extra do as I say kind of thing to do. Next is Unsplash. You know, bring images into anything that you're building. I love doing that. It kind of makes everything feel very real. You know, it, it makes it go from just, I guess, like words on a page. You can kind of remember who you're building this for. Next is Asana Cards. We manage every action in our company through Asana Cards, both, you know, locally for you and your team and then globally of what's happening against our OKRs. You can bring all that shit straight into Miro. Then Slack. I'm sure you're constantly in Slack. Well, send everything you want straight into the mirror boards that you're working on or vice versa. Google Drive, as you would expect, you know, pull the sheets in, the docs in, the slides, see the information you need, where you're actually working and collaborating together. And lastly, my favorite is Google Meet. I use this one all the time, you know. It's so 
one of Google Meet's worst features that when you're trying to share your screen, Google just disappears. So you can actually bring your Google Meet call into Miro. So you don't just share your screen, it actually populates the whole Google Meet call in Miro with a completely different interface. I love that. So you can actually see the people while you're collaborating. And to be honest, that's kind of our entire operational stack. And even though that's our entire operational stack, that's not even scratching the surface of what Miro can integrate and the kind of apps that they have. So use that as a sign, get Miro today. Because if you sign up today, you're gonna get your first three boards on Miro free forever. So sign up today at miro.com slash podcast. And because I talk quickly and with an Australian accent, I'm gonna spell it out, miro.com slash podcast. All right, let's jump back into the questions. This first question is called, how can I lead a team as an introvert? All the managers around me have all been outspoken, extroverted, talkative, etc. I rarely meet a leader or manager that's an introvert that I can actually take examples from. How do you actually manage and lead as an introvert? I would love to know tactically how I can do this in my job. This is from Foxable7670. I love this question because, uh, I mean, as you can imagine, I'm a writer, so I'm actually an introvert as well. <laughs> and sometimes I found that managing people was just exhausting. Uh, actually, I think extroverts find it exhausting too. It's, it's very, it takes a lot of energy to, to manage people. So a few thoughts that I have on this. The first is, and in fact, shortly after the book came out, Susan Cain, who wrote Quiet, and I had a conversation about this, because I think that the, the first thing to realize is that caring about other people is not a function of introversion or extroversion. Introverts care just as much as extroverts do. And so part of what you need to do is start in Radical Candor, I talk about sort of this, there's this framework. And at the center of the framework of being a good boss is you yourself. And so getting yourself centered and figuring out what are the things that you have to do so that when you show up for other people, you're showing up with your best self. So for example, my personal recipe, is, but mine is not yours because we all need different things. But I need to get enough sleep. I need an hour of exercise alone or maybe walking with my husband, but like basically time, <clears throat> exercise is alone time. I like going to a class or something does not do it for me. And I also need to have a meal with someone who I genuinely love, and I need to read a book once a week. So, and for me, reading novel in, in a book by a book, I mean a novel. For me, reading novels is a big part of of what I need to do to to sort of refill my tank. Uh, and if I can do those things, then the job is much easier. If I don't do those things, even if things are pretty easy in my life it becomes much harder for me to be a good boss. So I think first and foremost is you need to figure out what you need to do to, to nourish yourself, to recreate yourself, and make time to do those things. Like I, I think very often, at least for me early in my career, I felt like I was not being fair to my team if I wasn't up too late you know, doing all the things I needed to be doing. 
And I realized at a certain point that actually it was selfish of me not to get enough sleep because I just wasn't, I, I couldn't bring my best self to work if I was overtired. So that's the first thing. There's tons more to say, but Joel, I want to get your thoughts before I keep rambling. Keep, keep on rambling. It's interesting. I guess I I am an extrovert. I love people and meeting people and 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 like my leadership style is much more, you know, that what people are describing in this, you know, that outspoken, loud person. And so it is interesting to hear this, you know, from an introvert's perspective, because my, my advice here is going to be limited. But it is interesting to me that you're starting this from a position which has nothing to do with management. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's about centering yourself and building that strong foundation. Yeah, I had a great uh, mentor who at one point said, you know, when you're leading a team, you're like a wheel. And if you think about what, what happens to a wheel when the center is out of alignment, it cannot go very fast. Mm. And so you really need to, to give yourself the things that, that keep you aligned, keep you centered. I think another thing to think about is listening is a very important part of leadership. And knowing whether or not you're a quiet listener or a loud listener is really important. So for example, uh, I spent a bunch of time working at Apple and I would say that Steve Jobs was sort of a loud listener, but Tim Cook is a quiet listener. And both work, they're both <laughs> very effective CEOs, but you've gotta understand what the benefits are of being a loud listener and what the costs are of being a loud listener and adjust. Or if you're a quiet listener, what are the benefits and costs of being a quiet listener? Um, and, uh, and so I think that's also important to, to think about. Like if you're a quiet listener, if you're an introvert, you need to realize that sometimes when you, when you don't say what you really think right off the bat, when, when you hang back, People start to assert, you know, well, Kim said, but, and I said no such thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, the, you need to make sure that people understand that, that they can't sort of make stuff up. They can't use your name in vain. You know, they can't say, oh, Kim said this or Kim wants this. Uh, you need to make sure that you'll you'll tell people when you want something and and it'll be very clear to them <laughs> what you want. So I think that's one of and if you're a loud listener, you need to make sure that you're you're creating an opportunity for the people around you who aren't as loud to speak up. You need to give the quiet ones a voice. Johnny Ive, who, who was the chief design officer at Apple, said that a big, a really important thing that leaders do is they give the quiet ones a voice. And that sometimes means shutting down the loud ones uh, so, that, so that others have an opportunity to speak up. Um, at, at Google, uh, there was this Project Aristotle, and they sort of looked at all the factors that, that go into high, the most high-performing teams. And they found that one of the most important factors was that everyone on the team speaks up roughly the same amount of time. Hmm. And so one of the things that I have found helpful is to pay attention to how much time I'm speaking in a meeting. 
and to make sure that I'm not taking up too much or too little of 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 the airtime. I think as an introvert, it's tempting to feel like, uh, you know, I'm doing everybody a favor to remain quiet because these people who are babbling are wasting everyone's time. And one of the things that I've tried to tell myself and also the people who I've worked with who are also introverts is that you're actually withholding your thoughts from, from your team is not an act of kindness. Uh, it is, it, it, it's withholding. And so you want to make sure that you, you don't want to waste time. You don't want to speak up unnecessarily, but that when you have a thought that you're willing to share it. There's a, uh, there's one of the things that I've told people who I've worked with who are introverts, sometimes part of the problem is that people don't want to speak up until they're certain. And so letting people know that sharing a hypothesis <laughs> is just as useful as sharing an observation is just as useful as sharing a conclusion just be clear what you're sharing you know here's here's what i think uh, is the case here's some observations that i've made and i don't know what to conclude yet like that's okay do you feel like in your experience you know speaking to to thousands and thousands of people or tens of thousands i have no idea about their management approach and and uh and their approach to challenging directly have you found there to be any correlation between extroverts being more comfortable with the i guess techniques in radical candor not really uh, you would think there might be but sometimes people who are extremely extroverted are can be parallel they can be very empathetic with others they they understand how others are feeling and sometimes that can paralyze them that that can cause them to be more ruinously empathetic yeah uh, and so and sometimes people who are extremely introverted uh just they just don't they don't speak up as, as much so both introversion and extroversion for different reasons sort of push us towards ruinous empathy uh, rather than radical candor. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess, you know, reflecting on my own experience is that I struggle with ruinous empathy a lot at the beginning, even though I love, you know, being loud is because I love being liked. So, you know, challenging directly countered that personality issue, yeah. which is I didn't, I want to be liked. And if I told them, I, you know, I guess if, if we, by by if, the way, this the, I have. I, I mean, I think introverts want to be liked just as much as extroverts do. True, uh, and I think that I have found anyway in myself that when I'm really worried about someone else's feelings, that's what ruinous empathy is. But when I'm worried about being liked, that's when the more insidious manipulative insincerity mm, creeps in. Interesting. So, so yeah. like I often tell a story about not this guy who worked for me, Bob, and I didn't tell him he was. And part of the reason I didn't tell him was really ruinous empathy because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. But the other part of the reason I didn't tell him was that Bob was popular and sensitive. And I was afraid that if I told him in no uncertain terms that his work wasn't nearly good enough, he, he would get upset. Maybe he would even start to cry. And then everyone would think I was a big you-know-what. So the part of me that was worried about my reputation as a leader, that was the manipulative insincerity part. The part of me that was worried about 
Bob and his feelings, that was the ruin of sympathy part. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that differentiation with that example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's harder to admit, oh, yeah, I was manipulatively insincere yeah. than it is to admit, yeah, I was ruinously empathetic, you know, because yeah, empathy is true. such a good thing. But I think if we're honest, at least I have found in my experience, when I'm honest with myself, the two, there's usually, you know, a little bit of both going on. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I guess if we, if we, if we take a level higher, and I'll try and repeat back where I think we kind of landed on advice for Foxable. So the, the first thing is that we need to know that introverts and extroverts generally care about people the same amount. And yeah. caring about people is the, is the strongest kind of fundamental pillar when you're going to manage someone. Yes. So as long as you can continue to care and, and put that at the core of everything you're doing, that's just the first step, you know, care about the people yeah. you're working with, build the relationships there. Then the second thing is, is work on yourself outside of work. So center yourself, create the right foundation so you can go into work and be the best possible version of you. So if you are an introvert and, and you need more alone time, build your habits and your routine around that. Get the right sleep or the right exercise or the right meditation or the right food. Do all of the things before work so you go into work in the right place. I would say that's even good for extroverts too. Yes, I, it's I, important I, for everyone. I, I ask people all the time, how... I'm going to ask you, Kim, if you had a meeting at 8 a.m., how early would you wake up in the day to start that, to get ready? Uh, I wouldn't wake up before 7 because if I wake up before 7, then then I am no good. So okay. I would wake up at 7, I'd have my coffee, have my oatmeal, sort of get my head in the game and then jump on the call. Yeah. yeah what I've about just... you? I would be hours. I I take a long time to like, if I just wake up and go straight into a meeting, it just, it's just a waste of time for everyone. I just, I just can't function well. So I like to get up. I like to do what you do. I, I actually like to go and, you know, do exercise alone for an hour. I like to do all like the, the morning routines and the meditation and the journaling and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it's uh, build that strong foundation. Uh, it, it's kind of like the, 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 the key step to make sure you go into those meetings. And then lastly is to just be aware of your approach to management. So if you are, you know, introverted or, or you're quiet in meetings, understand that and be conscious. If you need to speak up more, like put, push yourself to, to actually do that properly. And if, you, and if you're loud, you know, like an extrovert, pull yourself back a little bit and make sure everyone is empowered to speak properly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have one other suggestion, which is there's a great book I think very often extroversion is rewarded in companies, more, probably more than it ought to be. Uh, and if you feel like that is happening to you at your company, read this book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter. Uh, and that will help you sort of survive in a world that over-rewards over extroversion. And I, th I, I want to say a couple of things. The, the title of that book I don't love because... I think sometimes it's a great idea to think slower, to, to slow down and think yeah. more deeply. And, uh, and I think the way that we talk about smart is sort of stupid, uh, not to put yeah. too fine. However, I get what, what the, the author is trying to do, which is, which is make sure that, that you're getting rewarded for your thoughts. Uh, and so, so I love the book. That's great. All right. That, that is a, a great actionable piece of advice. Well, we'll close that one out. Foxable, you have been advised. You can take that to the bank. 
And tell us, t- tell me why I'm wrong too. So, you know, you can send a note to radicalcandor at radicalcandor.com. All right. I love that. We can, uh, we can call Kim out if you disagree. Yeah. All right. We'll move on to question two. This one is called, is my manager too strict? I got this text from my boss at work last week. Now I'm reading directly from this uh, text. Okay. It's 6 p.m. This is on exactly 6 p.m. It's 6 p.m. and I'm not seeing any posts or anything completed that I asked you to. We just talked about this yesterday. Please collect your things and go home for the night. You were dismissed for the rest of your shift. I will be letting accounting know that your shift end time was 6. Full stop. I want to add that I've been here for almost... Now I'm going back into the, to, okay. to the context. I want to add that I've been here for almost two years and other than showing me... The other than showing up for late to work a couple of times, our executives and my coworkers like having me here. I'm a social media coordinator and I've, quote, held down the fort for about four months now with no manager or no help. This new manager has been here for three weeks and still doesn't know how to do about 60% of what my tasks are, which is detrimental to the company's operations. It's also hard to train my manager because I'm technically their assistant and I think their ego gets in the way of me trying to teach them. I'm not sure if I should A, quit right now, B, let her fire me and then feel dumb because she doesn't know how to do what do as much as I do, or three, talk to uh, our HR team and our higher-ups. And this is from Warped Bandit. <laughs> I'm sorry, Warped Bandit. That th- It's really hard to have a new boss. It's, it's really hard to have to educate a new boss. And so uh, I would say a couple of things. It, it sounds like Warped Bandit maybe feels a little bullied by this boss. And so... If you're feeling that way, the one thing, well, here's three things I always recommend before going in to talk to your boss about what's happening, uh, because you want to make sure whenever you're going to have this kind of conversation that you know what your BATNA is, what's your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Like maybe the conversation will go great, but it's a risky conversation to have. So what, you know, what, what, what can you do to, to de-risk it? One, jot down a couple, even if you have no intention of taking legal action, document what's going on. Because it's easy when your boss is sort of super aggressive this way, it's easy to feel gaslit, you know, like, is it me or is it them? So jot down the the, the things that have happened that, that make you feel bullied or micromanaged and and often by the way it sounds like micromanage a lot there's research that shows that micromanagement is can be a form of bullying so write those things down talk to someone who you work who you trust about this you know it's important to build solidarity talk to a mentor uh you don't want to talk badly about this manager behind their back to people at work but find someone who you can talk talk to about what's going on just as to sort of, again, help you feel less gaslit. And three, locate the exit nearest you. If you know that you can quit, if you know that you can quit and get another job easily, you go into the conversation with a a great deal more confidence. But don't quit before you try to give it a chance. I mean, if you already, it sounds like this person already has one foot out the door. And I often, when I'm coaching people, I, I say to them, if you already have one foot out the door, why not, why not take the risk to have a direct conversation? So when you go talk to the boss, I think you want to start by soliciting feedback. Don't dish it out before you prove you can take it. And also, 
you know, so 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 even though you're the employee and they're the boss, you want to show some le- some radical candor leadership and solicit feedback first. Also, that'll give you a way of knowing where they're coming from. So you'll better be able to gauge how what you're going to say lands. So start by soliciting feedback and really, you know, think about like, how are you going to ask it? Don't say, do you have any feedback for me? Because obviously you've already just gotten some. So, uh, so say some version of what could I do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me or whatever it is that don't write that down. That's my question. If you sound like Kim Scott, not like yourself, they won't believe you on the answer, but get some sense of where they're coming from. Also, even if you're not ready to give voice to it, think about a couple of things you appreciate about this person. It's so easy to start to treat a boss like some other authority figure in your life. And often being the boss, you feel like you're kind of a projection screen for everyone's unreason. So think about a couple of things that you try to humanize this person, at least in your own mind. And then, and and you can do all, this is not like some kind of Six Sigma process. You can do all this in a, in a day or two. Then go to to your boss and say, look, you told me that you I hadn't done any of the posts that you wanted me to do, but let me show you what I had done because I'm assuming that the boss is wrong about this. Let, let me show you what I have done and uh, and then maybe we can talk about a better way for me to keep you updated, you know? And, uh, and in fact, you could start that way. I, I'd, I'd like to, you know, what can I do to do a better job keeping you updated? Might be a way to, to solicit feedback. And then say, oh, that's really helpful because when you said I hadn't done these posts, actually, here's what I had done. Um, and, uh, and so I think that can be useful. It's possible that the new manager has a, a, a clear idea of some changes they want to make. And, and it would be good to understand what those changes are. And you don't have to agree with all of them. But when you first hear about those changes, like look for the five or 10% of whatever they're saying that you can agree with. Give voice to that just to show that you're not shut down to feedback. And then go back and say, you know, as for the rest of it, let me, could I think about it and then get back to you? And if you disagree with them, do get back to them. Do tell them why you disagree. And, uh, you know, and at some point you have to listen, challenge, commit. And if you can't commit, then you should quit. But at least now you, you've had the opportunity to, to, to maybe get on the same page with this new boss. Yeah. I think they, uh, they're great steps. Like, my first read of this is that your boss is being a dick. Like, yeah. he, he sent you this message. She, at exactly the, boss, st- the boss is a woman. Oh, sorry. But, that, but, that's, yeah. but that's not to say that, uh, that a woman can't be a dick. Like, as my kids are always telling me. (laughs) Like, to to send that message at exactly 6 p.m., saying it's 6 p.m., like, and uh, this big crafted message, like, that that was sitting on this for a while. They were ready to send it. So, I I think your boss is acting... Like a jerk. ...in obnoxious aggression, for sure. Yeah. Uh, But but that being said, I wouldn't leave immediately. Like you've only been working with this person for th- for for three weeks. Yeah. So and and you know, everyone said they like. You said everyone likes you, which means like you probably like this working environment. Yeah. So I w- I wouldn't just leave based on that. I, I I would put the work in to to try and work it out with this with this new boss. And 
in Kim, in your book, you talk a lot about, you know, uh, bring your whole self to work. And it's about building strong relationships, you know, as a manager with the people you manage. And, and, and that can go in reverse as well. You are trying to manage up a bit here. But, but try and build a relationship with this person. Like Kim said, it's, it's about, you know, try and find the good. What do you like in this person? Try and come at this, you know, from, from a place of empathy and a place of care and get on the same page and understand where do they come from? Why are they in this role? Like, what, what are they aiming for? What are they trying to turn this team into? And see what you can get on board with and, 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 and just have a crack there. And then as Kim said, I, I like the idea of starting with advice first. You know, go and, go and ask for advice on yourself. One tool that, that I use across my company that we're just learning how to, how to give feedback better was that at the start of every meeting we had, we would have a start, stop, continue. And it was just a box which said, what would you like me to start doing? What would you like me to stop doing? And what would you like me to continue doing? And, you know, as Kim outlines in the book, when, when someone gives you feedback, they often then will kind of just ask for feedback too. It's like this little trick. So if you start doing that and say, hey, I'd like to ask you these questions, I think you'll start to, you know, learn a little bit more, start more positive conversations because if you're asking for feedback too, this person is going to feel like they don't have to keep being so challengery or, or yeah. attacky kind of stuff. So yeah, I, you know, I, I think effectively it just sounds like I'm recycling your points, Kim, but if, if I summarize this, it's your boss is being a jerk, but don't let that be your first, don't let that be a reason to leave immediately. Try and have a conversation. Start that conversation from a place of empathy, uh, from a place of care. Try and learn about this person, build a relationship with them. Try and understand what they're doing in their business and, and what their goal is. Uh, and, and start by asking for feedback on you more. See if that builds a relationship better. And then if it doesn't and you still hate it, then you can leave. That's fine. You've given it a go. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's great. Uh, that's great feedback, especially like the stop, start, continue conversation. I want to, you said something that, that I wrote in the book and I got some feedback on it. So I want to share it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so bring your whole self to work. A bunch of people told me, you know what? It's not safe for me to bring my whole self to work, which is what prompted me to write the next book, Just Work. And there is, when, when your boss has too much power, I think that it is really uh, difficult to figure out how to, to respond to that. And there's a, there's a chapter in this book, Just Work, uh, about what to do when, when your boss is bullying you. It's chapter seven, starts on page 215. So if you want more detailed uh, advice, feel free, to, uh, feel free to check out Just Work. And if that's not an example of taking feedback well, I don't know what is. Kim, you <laughs> took feedback from, from, from a reader and you wrote a new book. So, hey, if you want a book written in your honor, just challenge one of Kim's ideas <laughs> with, a, with a fundamentally sound idea and you might get a book out of it. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll wrap that one up. Warped Bandit, um, I think you've got some good advice there, but start uh, Just Work on page 215. <laughs> All right, we'll, uh, we'll go to, to the last question we have time for, uh, which is called, How to Manage Friends. I was promoted at work seven months ago. It's a job where I was an entry level initially, and now I'm the boss of people I worked alongside, some of whom I would call genuine friends and another who used to actually be my boss. My new manager pulled me aside recently and said, I need to be harsher on my staff. 
That's not the exact word she used, but apparently my staff have been getting away with way too much. In hindsight, it's not a totally unfair statement, but I'm unsure how to manage people who are my friends and don't like listening to me when they when they used to actually be my boss as well. Yeah. And this is from Numerous Improvements. So Numerous Improvements. This is really hard. This is really difficult. In fact, in the military, in the U.S., they will not allow you to become a commander over people who used to be your peers because it is so hard. So first of all, I feel your pain. Uh, So here are a couple of things to do. I think when I've been in this situation and either I have a a person who has been a friend who's now reporting to me or I'm reporting to uh, a person who used to be a peer or a friend from school or something like that. In both both situations, a a really open conversation about how awkward it is, is is really helpful. So just sitting down with your team and saying, look, uh, you know, uh, to the maximum extent possible, I want to stay on a level playing field with everyone. Like, like, like the key to being a good boss is a good relationship. We've got that down. The awkward thing is now I have some authority that you don't have. So I'm going to lay that down to the maximum extent possible. And to say part of what, you know, being a job, it's not a value judgment. Being a boss is a a job for which I get held accountable. And one of the things I get held accountable for doing is telling you the kind of things that you need to know for you to be successful, for the team to be successful. And so because I care about you, I'm going to tell you those things. Like go back to first radical candor, first principles. I mean, if your your job is a boss, like if if we go if we go back to this framework about what the job of being a boss is, it starts with you at the center. The next concentric circle is your relationships, and only when your relationships are good can you fulfill your responsibilities. And as a as a boss, you have three basic responsibilities. You need to create a culture of what I call guidance, but what most people call feedback. You need to build a great team and you need to get shit done. Like those are the three things you need to, no matter what uh, kind of uh, industry you're in, those are the three things that bosses do. And so you you need to make sure that you're using those relationships to help you create a culture of feedback. And again, it starts by soliciting feedback. Should be easier for you to solicit feedback from these people because they're they already know you, uh, and and then that gives you the opportunity to lead by example and to reward the candor, and to show people that that feedback is a gift that we give each other. It's not a way of establishing dominance or kicking each other in the shins. Yeah, I think you know especially earlier in my career i i did equate telling people what to do with leadership you know that more like dominant forceful approach yeah and it, and it's just absolutely not i no I would telling, say... telling people what to do just it just doesn't work yeah no, nobody wants to be told what to do i would say the approach you shouldn't take is to tell them off publicly first that's where you should not start, okay? Yes, I agree. <laughs> so that's the number one thing to not do. Do not just all of a sudden get fed up with this and resentful because you haven't said anything for a long time. Don't let it fester up and then all of a sudden blow up at this because that will lead to the worst possible outcomes. 
again i'm just going to copy what you said kim because <laughs> i think it's perfect it's it's have that hard conversation it's it's going to be awkward but having the hard conversation is almost always the right thing to do yes. so be very honest with them genuine with them and say hey this is weird i'm in this position now where you were my boss and now i'm your boss like and and you know what you're getting held accountable to i'm now getting held accountable to that kind of stuff so like i this is where i'm at and and like i just want to talk about it and maybe ask for some advice i mean that's why i said like start by soliciting feedback this person was the boss they're no longer the boss they're probably no longer the boss for some reason uh so so ask for their advice like what would you do in my shoes what yeah. do, what do I need to know? Um, you know, because I have I have things to learn from you. And then the second thing I would say is, don't give them free passes at all. So, as a boss, you know you have a set of standards and a set of expectations on your people, and you need to hold everyone accountable to the expectations that you've set. And I, I've been in the position before where I, I started managing someone who who was my boss previously and it was really strange and i i sat down i had a conversation with them it was really awkward and it's really tough but but it, it felt like it ended well but this person kept kind of you know somewhat the the word is too strong but you know somewhat humiliating me in public like trying to question my my authority or leadership yeah. in, in public which was really bad and you can't in my opinion you, you can't accept that you know, like if this person is continuing to, to underperform or, or call you out or, or act inappropriately at work, you need to snuff that out. And so you need to tell them off and, and you need to, there need to be, you know, ramifications for, for yeah. anyone, you know, acting like that in a workplace. Yeah, yeah. Some, you can't let people bully you because if you as yeah. the boss, and this is awkward because part of what you're trying to do as a boss is get on a level playing field. But if you allow people to bully you, how are they going to treat other people on yeah. their team uh, who, who aren't their boss? And this is, there, there's another story about this in Just Work, about a time where I, where I had an employee and I allowed him to sort of bully me. And then, and then when I found out what he was doing to other people, I was really horrified. And I realized, you know, it was... It's my job to say, look, I'm open to feedback from you, but this is not feedback. This is bullying and it's yeah. got to stop. Yeah, I I completely agree. You know, ha- ha- however someone treats the boss is only generally a fraction of how they act elsewhere. Yes. And we've seen that too, you know, where someone can be absolutely delightful to me, but then yeah. being an asshole to others. Yeah. And, and you need to find that out. So be, be really conscious of that. But, but yeah, and... I guess like the the one thing I'd say is that in that situation where I was managing someone who I used to used to be managed by, when they you know they they kept not meeting expectations, not doing their job, and you know kind of like challenging me so like in public and stuff like that, I I called them out. I end up sending them home, and it was this big awkward blow up. But mm-hmm. our relationship got so much stronger after that because yeah. I held my ground against them as well. So yeah. I would say you, like a big part of this is that you do just start have to back yourself even when you don't have all of the information. Yeah. You just need to own the outcomes of your decisions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, you, if you're worried about your relationship, if you're not confronting someone who's treating you 
sort of disrespectfully because you're worried about your relationship. Like, what's gonna your relationship is not gonna be good with that person. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You you can't allow that if you care about the relationship, you can't allow that kind of disrespect to happen. But you need to remember also, I think, as a manager, that that just that that there's like there's there's two definitions of respect. One is about sort of the respect that everyone, every single human being owes to every other respect, other human being. The, the basically respect for each other's humanity and for how we feel and how we are in the world. Uh, and then and and then there's another definition of respect, and that's something you have to earn. Uh, respect for your skills. And so you need to remember that you have to earn the second kind of respect, but that you should insist that everyone treat each other respectfully. Uh, it's a shame that that one word has two such different definitions. <laughs> yeah. It's confusing. <laughs> well, let's wrap this one up. And, and the final judgment for numerous improvements is number one, have, the, have a hard conversation with them. So sit down yeah. with them, tell them, tell them what's going on and ask for their advice. And then the second is, is that hold them accountable to the same expectations that, you know, their role deserves. They, they don't get any free passes. Yes. All right. Numerous improvements, you have been advised. And uh, we, we, that is all we have time for today. So we'll come to the last section of the show. Everyone's favorite section is plugs. So Kim, what's going on in your end? What would you like to plug right now? I would like to plug a course called The Feedback Loop. This is a, it's more like a sitcom than your traditional uh, management training. And it will explain to folks how to solicit radical candor, how to give praise, how to give criticism, and how to gauge how it's landing. Uh, but it's it's five 10-minute shorts, and we, we made it with Second City Works, and it's tons of fun. So would love to get people's thoughts on it. The set, can I plug two things? Yeah, of course, as many I, as you want. I already did kind of plug it, but uh, but I would love to plug Just Work, my next book as well. All right. Well, I'm going to put all the links to that in the show notes too. So if you want to check awesome. it out, go there. I'm also going to put a link to Radical Candor because I that's in my plugs too. Just re <laughs> okay, thank Read you. Kim's work, it's exceptional. Um, and then on my side, uh, thank you to everyone who writes in. We love these problems. We love these challenges. They're so fun to workshop. Um, thank you to Kim. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, there, there's so many more questions that I wanted to ask, um, but uh, we'll, we'll get you on in the future to, to run through some more. But and if you've got questions, you've got challenges that you want to send through, send them through to podcast at joeldutrapani.com. And then lastly is that I love meeting new people. I love chatting about this kind of stuff. So if you have challenges in the product space and in the startup space, uh, let's jump on a call. I've got a booking link in, in the show notes as well. So look at my calendar, book some time and let's have a conversation. Joel, well, thank you. You are very generous with your time. Oh, thank you so much for coming on, Kim. Well, look, we're going to wrap this one up. Kim, thank you for arguing with us and laughing with us today. Uh, I've loved this conversation. This has been another episode of the Do As I Say, Not As I Did podcast. We will see you all next week. Take care, everyone. <laughs>